Good morning. <laughs> it's good to see everybody here this morning. I found out I'd be speaking for the first time in church, and I lost my voice yesterday. So go figure. So I'm going to power through. We'll see what happens. Um, for those who came in late, uh, I am not Pastor Vic, unfortunately. I, I'm, uh, my name's Justin Woodruff. I'm just an attendee here at the church, soon to be a member. Uh, but a few weeks ago, I reached out to Vic and the elders, the leadership team, about the possibility of initiating or at least organizing an orphan care and adoption ministry here at the church. And I have no background in that. Um, and after meeting with them and talking through it a little bit, their response was unexpected. It's like overwhelming. They're like, yes, we would love to do that. In fact, why don't you speak at church? I like, Ooh, that's exciting. Uh, but a little bit unnerving. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an elder. In fact, um, I'm a helicopter pilot. You know, and, and so it's a little bit unnerving. Um, and, and this topic of foster care and adoption has become increasingly emotional for me for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. I'm just getting softer. But like when I talk about this, I'm like, whew. And so there's a good chance I'm going to start crying on stage today which is terrible for my tough guy image, um, but it's probably going to make it more memorable for you and for me, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'd like to start by thanking Pastor Vic, and I don't know where he's sitting right now, but there he is. I met Vic through a work Bible study a few years ago, and the way that he studies and teaches the Word of God has been incredibly impactful to me in so many different ways, and has really developed my Christian walk. And I suspect that many of you here today, at least in part because of his teaching, the way it's blessed you and encouraged you. Like, what I really, one of the things I appreciate about Vic is he approaches the Bible as objectively as possible. And what I mean by that, he doesn't come up here and try and fit it into our culture, what we feel or think. He wants us to collectively approach the Bible and see, like, what does God have for us? And I still appreciate that. And so I'm empathetic to those of you this morning who may have brought a guest or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, and you're excited to worship with us and then have them benefit from Vic's teaching, you're like, oh, we got a guest speaker. Like, <laughs> like, isn't that always the case? And let's be honest, like usually the guest speaker is not as gifted or talented as the regular person. Like I can admit that. And for whatever reason, it's been my experience in previous churches that like guest speakers like to talk about things that are uncomfortable and controversial in a way that leaves me deflated after service and my guests left less likely to come back with me. So that's not my goal this morning if you're, if you're worried right now. But I thought it would be a good opportunity to just kind of ask this question. Like, why do we gather here on Sunday mornings? Like, why are we here? What makes this unique from all our other social gatherings throughout the week? Is it, is it just to hear from a really good band? And you guys are amazing. Or be under the teaching of a gifted pastor and he's really gifted? I would say no. Like, we gather here to worship God. That's why we're here. We worship him through our music and our prayers and our tithing, our fellowship and our study of his word. But we're here to worship God and we're here to hear from God. That's, that's what we're here to do. So it's, as we're here this morning, that's my goal, that God would speak to your heart through this topic specifically in a way that produces change in your life, incremental transformative change, that he would reorder your affections. And you walk out of here not be like, oh, Woody gave a great sermon. You'd be like, God, speak into my heart. Like, what has he called me to do? Me, personally, my family. And so that's my hope this morning. That's my prayer. And would you just pray for me before I talk anymore? Father, I just pray for this, this congregation, this group of people here, that you would pour out your blessing in their heart that you would encourage them and you open their minds and their hearts to what you might have to say through your word in a way that 
just reorders their affections and priorities for you in a way that produces fruit and change in their life that brings you glory and brings them blessing. And with your heads bowed, would you, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would just be accurate in the way I present the word? That I would be compassionate and humble and loving in how I use my words this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. When's the last time you shared the gospel? And, and maybe there are some here who don't yet know Christ. And I want to start first by saying, if you don't yet know Jesus and that question doesn't make sense to you, like, we are so glad that you're here. And I hope that you see and hear the gospel and this message and the lives of the people around you in a way that prompts you to pursue him and ultimately surrender your life to him. But this question isn't for you. It's for the rest of you. Like, when's the last time you shared the gospel? you're like me, I'm like, oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> you know, like I try to live my life in such a way that people see the gospel of me and like through some kind of spiritual osmosis, like boom, they're a Christian. Um, but I don't speak of that. So I'll change the question a little bit. Like when's the last time you just spoke the gospel like to your spouse or a friend or a kid? When's the last time like the gospel came out of your mouth? I was, um, I was talking to some friends of mine, the Whitesses, they're here. And Brooke and Brandon are wonderful people. I hope you meet them if you haven't. Uh, but Brooke shared. She was like, well, I had the opportunity. To, a few weeks ago, she had the opportunity to share with a neighbor, a high school girl. And so Brooke used the four spiritual laws. Maybe you've heard of this. Like, it's just a template. So maybe some of you, that's what you do. Or you know the Romans Road. Or maybe others of you just get, like, moved by the Spirit and you speak the gospel. But I find it really challenging. And so the other morning at breakfast, a few weeks ago, I was having breakfast with Vic and some of the guys. And as we're talking and having a conversation, Vic just turns to me. He's like... If you had two minutes on stage in front of a million people to share the gospel, what would you say? I was like, Vic, I love how you take conversation. Just make it spiritual. That's awesome. Thanks for me. He's like, no, what would you say? I was like, oh, you want me to like share the gospel right now with you? Whew. All right. So I put down my bagel. And I said something like this. Like, I believe that, that we were created by a loving and sovereign and personal God. Like, he created us. It wasn't an accident. And we were created to live in relationship with God. And then from the first man who's created till right now, all of us has turned away from God. We've all turned away from him. We pursued other things. We tried to fill our hearts with pleasures and passions and possessions and pursuits that are unsatisfying. We've rebelled against him, and the Bible calls that sin, and all of us are guilty before God. And as a result of our sin, like, we're separated from him, both now and forever. We have physical death and eternal death. We're hopeless and helpless apart from God. It's terrible news. But as my daughter Mia might say, like, Daddy, what about John 3.16? That's right. Like, what about John 3.16? Like 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. Like the life we couldn't live. You and I couldn't live that life. I haven't. And then he knowingly and willingly went to the cross at Calvary. Like he knew what he was doing. And he died on the cross as a substitute for us. A propitiation for our sins. A perfect sacrifice. And then God raised him from the dead. Supernaturally raised him from the dead. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, like what we trust and treasure, what we desire most, our hearts, if we believe that, then we're saved. Like we're Christians. And we receive a new heart. Like he takes our heart of stone and he makes a heart of flesh. We have new life in Christ. We set our minds on things above and suddenly like the things we chase after for joy and purpose and satisfaction and life, they're centered around Jesus. And we look radically different. We look radically different from the inside out. 
right? That's the gospel. Now, to be fair, when I answered Vic, I was like, like he was terrible, right? I've had some time to practice. But that's not my point. That's not my point. My point is, like, if you know Christ and you believe what I just said, speak the gospel. And you're like, well, how do I do that? Here's my first challenge to you. Like, when you drive home today in your car, if you're by yourself, just speak it out loud. Turn down the radio or the webcast and speak it. If you're with a spouse or a friend, just take turns. Right, you go. I'll go. If you're with your kids, have them go first. And just talk through it. And then make that a habit in your life. Make that a routine. I've certainly been challenged this week just thinking over that. Like, it's not a routine for us, but I love it to be. I asked all my kids earlier this week, like, what's the gospel? And some were like, Bleh. But other one, like, again, like, John 3.16, Daddy. So anyhow, that's my first challenge to you this morning. Some of you are looking at your watch. You're like, you're about 10 minutes in. Like, what does this have to do with the gospel? I mean, what does the gospel have to do with adoption? That's a great question. So let's open our Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on with your neighbor. If they're not friendly, we'll put it up on the screen. (laughs) And as you're turning there, the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. It's written by Paul. And Paul, like many of you know, he he persecuted the church. He was not a fan of Christians early on. He was a religious zealot. And then he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that rocked his world. And he became not just any follower of Christ, but like 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament were written by this guy. And so this book of Ephesians, um, if you're still turning there, after Galatians, before Philippians in the New Testament. Paul's about three decades into his ministry. So this is written about three decades after Jesus Christ was resurrected. Paul's in a Roman prison. He wrote four other letters or epistles from the prison. He's in Rome, in chains, waiting to make a case before Caesar. And he's in prison because of his faith. But he doesn't waste any time. Like he's ministering to the guards that are there, the people that are there, and he's writing letters to the churches. And Ephesians is one of those letters that he writes. I'm going to read this to you, and I want you to pay attention to how Paul describes, the Apostle Paul describes the gospel. What language does he use? In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us with in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now that's an incredible run-on sentence with all kinds of theological truth. But did you catch it? You see in the beginning, like what language does Paul use to try and describe this, this powerful message about Jesus? He says, you are adopted. Verse 5, you've been adopted. And just in case you think I might be trying to steal a verse to make a point, like this is all throughout the New Testament. In Romans 8 and Romans 9 and Galatians 4, the same words use adoption. But then even bigger than that, the theme, like John chapter 1, we are children of God through our adoption into his family. John chapter 3, if you remember, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, you need to be what? Like, you got to be born again. You need to be reborn into God's family. So think about that for a second. When you place your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ, like you are adopted into his family with all the rights and responsibilities and inheritance and benefits that come with that. Like you're his son or his daughter. I think about how much I love my own kids. Like I would do anything for my kids, and I, you probably feel the same way. Like God loves you infinitely more than that. When you're adopted into his family, 
That's a beautiful theological truth, and you should, like, take great comfort in that this morning as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, just consider what that would look like. So some of you might be thinking, like, okay, thanks for that, Justin. Like, thanks for that theological truth. But what does that have to do with, like, foster care and adoption ministry, like, right now? Another great question. So you flip about ten books ahead to the book of James in the New Testament. James chapter 1. And I know that we're not supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, probably, but this might be mine. Uh, James, it's after Hebrews, before 1 Peter. James chapter 1. And what I find fascinating about this book in the Bible, this letter written by James, is that, well, first of all, James was the half-brother of Jesus. So his mom was Mary, his dad was Mo- Mo- um, Joseph, not Moses. And he was the younger brother of Jesus. Think about that for a second. I could be the younger brother of the Son of God. And he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah while Jesus ministered on earth. If you look at John chapter 7, verse 5, we know that he was a skeptic. But after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, like, James became a believer. Not just a nominal believer. Like, he became a pillar of the early church. Acts 12, Acts 15. Like, this guy was all in. Like, he had a personal encounter. He knew his half-brother was the Son of God. And so this epistle, James chapter 1, was arguably one of the first letters of the New Testament. It was certainly one of the first ones. And he's writing, and if you look at the introduction there, he was writing it to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So what is he, he's writing it to the Christians who were dispersed all throughout the ancient Near East. So Galilee, Judea, Samaria, up in the modern day, Turkey and Greece. And he's writing the Christians again who are struggling because of their faith. That's his audience. So unlike Paul, who wrote the specific churches, this is kind of like a letter to all the Christians who are experiencing difficulty for their faith. I want to draw a couple points here. How does he start? If you look in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because you know that testing your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what does he say? Like, you're going to suffer when you're a Christian. It's going to happen. But it's necessary. It's necessary for you to be perfect and complete. And then he says it again in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in the trial. For when he stood the test, he received the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, like you're going to suffer, but it's worth it. That's part of being a Christian in this world. And then he recognizes, like, in our suffering, we're going to have questions. I have questions all the time when we go through trials. So look at there in verse uh, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom in your suffering... Let him ask God who gives generous to all without reproach and will be given to him. Like, go to God and ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to you. So how does he bring this chapter home, chapter 1? And this is the theme of the book of James that I so appreciate. If you look at verse 22 there, he says, you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. God can give you wisdom, but don't give up. 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of God's word, not hearers only. Don't just listen to it when it's difficult. Don't actually do what it says. So I'm like, yes, this is good. And then in verse 27, it brings it home. He's like, all right, let me give you a practical way to show you how you can do this right where you're at. And so if you look with me in uh, verse one or chapter 127, it's up on the screen too. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. So here it is. James is about to lay it out for us in practical ways. And my ESV translation here says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
the NIV up on the board, to care for, to look after, to visit. Like, we have a role with orphans. Like, think about that for a second. Like, how many other things could James have said right there? Like, true, pure, faultless religion is this, care for orphans. Like, what? What? Why would he say that in widows? Well, think about it. Like, the first century, this is a marginalized people group. They had no hope of survival, little to no hope to survive as orphans or widows in this culture. And although we have, like, systems and a government in place now that provide for some of the needs, the reality is, like, this is still, like, a mandate for us. Like, we just don't see it like they saw it back then. So think about that. Like, pure and faultless religion is the care for orphans, to visit orphans, to look after orphans. Like, well, how do I do that? I don't, I haven't seen orphans. My, Molly, my wife, she looked up uh, some statistics for me. And so right now, according to UNICEF, there's about 153 million orphans worldwide. In the United States, there's 400,000 kids in foster care. In Virginia, there's about 5,000 kids in foster care. In Spotsylvania County, there's about 150 kids currently in foster care right now. And so I think, like, we see a mandate in Scripture to care for orphans, right? I mean, I think it's pretty clear. And then we see, like, these statistics, like, they're there. But oftentimes there's a disconnect between our response to Christians and the practical need and the mandate. I know that that was the case for me. Like for 37 years, I knew this verse. I had a buddy who challenged me to memorize this verse, the whole chapter, when I was on a deployment. And so I could say this verse to you, but my life didn't look any different as a result. And so what I'd like to do for just a couple minutes is just tell you our story. And this is different than a normal service. Like I appreciate this church because we do inductive Bible study. It's not typically story time. But I hope is like my story will connect your hearts in a practical way to this mandate and the need that produced change in your life. And not change like to be like the Woodruff. Please don't make that your goal. That's, that's a terrible goal. But change your life will cause you to love God more, to live for Christ more. Because ultimately it's his glory and it's your blessing. Like what you need most in life is Christ and him living through you, working through you. And the greatest commandment, you know it, like to love God and to love and serve other people. Like, how do we do that? I know you're as busy as I am. You're probably busier than me. Like, how do you do that? Well, I just want to tell my story real quick and show you one of many ways that you can, like, live that out practically. Like, here in Spotsylvania, Fredericksburg, and Stafford. All right. Molly and I were married in 2002. And we were both in the military. Sorry, I'm chomping my throat lozenge. And so we served in the military, but because we were deployed so much, we, we, didn't want to have, we couldn't have a family. We didn't start having kids until later on, about seven years after we were married. And um, so then it was time. I was getting out of the active duty. I was going to get in the reserves. And we, we tried to have kids. We thought, like, when you want to have kids, they just happen when you're married. And we struggled. Like, we had a year and a half of infertility. And we're like, God, like, what? Like, we can't have a family? We just want to have children. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to process it. I was like, I thought that just happened. And then, you know, eventually, I'll spare the details, but I was the problem. I had a surgery, and then we, we had four kids in four years. Like, whoa, it was a miracle, right? <laughs> and then Molly's like, you got to go back to the doctor and get that fixed. We're done having kids. And I was like, I was like I'll rise for that. So, and so through providential circumstances, like I was a high school teacher and a wrestling coach in my hometown in San Diego, and life was good. We had a church and a Bible study. We had a little house, and we made a man cave and added a room, and those aren't bad things, but, like, we were very much like, we're good. We got our fences. We got our friends. We're good. And God was, like, stirring in my heart. And so through circumstances, I, I don't have time to explain. Like, he moved us 
to Virginia and then to Little Rock, Arkansas with a new job. I met somebody, I was just talking to somebody from Little Rock. They're like, I had no idea where that state was, much less the city. So we bought our kids a bunch of camouflage and some fishing poles. I got a pickup truck and we like, we tried to fit in. Like I even spoke a little accent. Like I appreciate you. Like we just, we just tried to fit in. And it wasn't a couple months after we got there that Molly came to me. And keep in mind, like we had four kids under the age of six. Um, I got a new job. We don't know anybody, no family. We're not even plugged into a church yet. And Molly comes up to me one evening. She's like, I think uh, I think I want to be a foster family. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, no, I think we should look into foster care. I was like, no, thanks. And she's like, why? I was like, well, I don't want to love a little kid and then have to give him back. That sounds terrible. And I'll never forget her response. And my wife's super tough. She's like, well, it's really not about you, is it? And she walked away. I was like, boom. <laughs> like, boom. I was like, I still don't want to do it. I still don't want to do it. And so she came back a few weeks later, sometime later. She's like, listen, there's an organization in Little Rock. It's called Children of Arkansas Love for a Lifetime, the call. They're a Christian organization, and they partner with social services and with local churches to mobilize Christians to answer the call, the mandate to care for orphans, but they help out. They do the training. They provide respite care. I know you're not interested, but would you at least come to a free dinner with me? I was like, date night for free? Like, I'm in, but I have no interest in foster care, so it was an easy sell. And so I went to this dinner with Molly, and it was awesome. I had a big plate of chicken and rice, a cookie, like a Diet Coke. It was awesome. And, and the lady's up front talking, and she's like spouting off statistics about the need and the numbers, and like, it's great, but I wasn't listening. And I remember that, I'll never forget it, like, this high school girl comes up, and she says, like, hi, my name is, I forget her name, and she said, I was, I was born into a broken home. Like, my mom went to prison, and my dad, he abused me, and so I was taken from my home and put in a foster care, and then in a group home, and then another foster care. My life was really hard, and she's talking, she's, she's shaking more than I am, and, and I started paying attention, and she says, um, but then I went to this home, and there was a woman there, a single lady, who brought me in as a foster. And she loved me. Like, it was different. Like, she loved me. And she taught me about Jesus and gave my life to Christ. Like, I learned that I was beautifully and wonderfully made by God. And it wasn't an accident. Like, it wasn't a mistake. Like, God loves me. And she loved me. And she adopted me. And she's my mom. And she walked out. She's like, and I'm a senior high school. And I just got accepted to college. And I'm crying. I'm, like, crying all over my chicken I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I turn around, and Molly's filling out the forms. And I'm like, well, guns up. Let's do this. We're going to be a foster family. Like, and so that's how we started this process. Like, I'd like to say it was more spiritual than that, but she got my heart. And so we filled out the forms, and we went through the training. And I'll be honest. Like, I thought I knew how to parent. I'm like, I don't need you to tell me how to parent. But we went to these meetings. And I was like, I don't know how to parent, just for the record. And they did an FBI background check, which is super annoying to me. And I had to to get my fingerprints, and they did a home study to make sure our house was safe, and it wasn't, so we had to, like, <laughs> had to, like, put away the knives. <laughs> and so after a few months, like, they're like, all right, you're a foster parent, you're a foster family. I'm like, well, what happens next? And I'm like, well, we'll call you. All right. So we kind of forgot about it. A few months went, a few months went by, and we're at the lake by the house. Uh, kids are playing in the water. Molly's talking to some friends. I go out to the truck to get my fishing pole. My phone rings. I'm like, yeah, hello, like Mr. Woodruff. Yes, ma'am. This is so-and-so from social services. We have 
a little baby girl, and she tested positive for opioids. She was born yesterday. We need somewhere for her to go. Can you take her? And like, keep in mind, when we filled out the forms that we were like, we just got out of diapers, so like, we can't handle any babies. Like, we're, we're good. Like, get us some, like, some toddlers who can go potty by themselves. Just being honest. And so I was like, uh, stand by one. And so I yell across the parking lot. I'm like, hey, Molly, do you want a baby? And she's like, what? I'm like, do you want a baby? She's like, sure, I want a baby. Okay, we'll take the baby. All right. <laughs> No kidding. Like, so an hour later, this young social service caseworker shows up with a little baby girl um, in a car seat in a, a box of diapers and says, oh, we'll be in contact. And she takes off. My kids were so ecstatic. Like, we got a baby. Like, this is how they thought babies were made. They're like, the baby just showed up. We got a baby. <laughs> right, I think I have a picture here. That's Tania. And so that was our initial reaction, too. We were like, oh. And that was one of the toughest weeks of our marriage. Because that baby looks cute, but that baby didn't sleep. Right? She was up all night. And it was a struggle. And I say that like I did anything. Like I went to work. Like Molly bore all of that burden. I think I have another picture there of Manion with little Janiah. And so after about a week, Molly just comes to me sobbing. She's like, we can't do it. Like, I know you thought we thought we were something, but we're not. Like, I'm broken. You got to take her back. And I was like, like, I can't take her back. Like, I was like, what? So I called social service, and I was like, hey, I know through the foster process, like we said we didn't need respite care, but we lied. Like we need some help in a hurry. And so an older Christian couple that we didn't even know, like came to our house and took Janiah for a night and totally like gave us our legs back, like got a full night's sleep, and then we got her back. And that like got us another week. And, and during this process, like, the goal of foster care is always reunification. So we're meeting with the mom and dad once a week at social services. And the goal is to, like, get them back on their feet. So we don't know how long it was going to be. And then we got plugged in at a church. And we had a couple from church with little kids of their own who offered to take Janiah every now and again. And it was just enough, like, to keep us sane and from quitting. And eventually we reconnected with a family that we met during foster training, the Turchies. And they had three little boys. They lost the baby girl at birth, a beautiful Christian family. And their goal was like, we'd love to adopt a little girl someday. But they hadn't been placed. Like, we got placed and they didn't. So they're like, let us just help you out. And every Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to take Janiah and we're going to um, take her overnight so you guys can get a break. And we developed this amazing friendship centered around Christ over this little girl for the sake of the gospel. But like physical hands and feet of Jesus for us. And so for the sake of time, like we had her for about eight or nine months. And I got orders to come here with this job. And we didn't know yet if they terminate rights, so adoption wasn't an option, but I had to come. But social services allowed Janiah to become uh, the foster child of the churches because they had spent so much time with her. They developed a relationship. And so we moved here. It was super sad. I remember Kyra was devastated. Like, Kyra just poured into this little girl. Um, but it was also encouraging to know that like, she was going to be cared for by a loving Christian family, at least until her parents got back on track. And so... A couple months after we got here, we got a call from Tyler and Annie. They're like, they terminated rights. And we've adopted Janiah and her little sister, her older sister, Janiah. I think I have a picture here. So think about this. Like, these two little girls in a home of brokenness, and I love their parents, but they just couldn't get it together. Like, they're going to be forever in a loving home with Tyler and Annie and their three boys, poured into and taught about Christ, and like, forever changed. Uh, because of this, my wife's willingness to be like, hey, listen up, dummy. We need to step in and step up, right? And then the other people around us, Christians, were like, hey, we got you. Like, we're going to help walk through this with you. And so that changed our hearts forever. Like, I'm like, I'm in. 
And so we moved here to Virginia, and I'll speed them. And we're like, that's it. We're foster parents. That's what we do as Christians. And that's probably not the right approach. So we went to the social services office, and we said we'd like to sign up. And they said, we don't need you. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, that's what we do. They're like, we don't need you. We've got enough families, which is not true. It's not true. So we were really discouraged. Um, but we fill out the forms, and our, our training carried over. And we're just trying to figure out, like, God, what are you calling us to do? Like, we want to do this. Like, do I need to move to Africa or South America and be a missionary to see physical need and try and help people out? Because I just don't see it in my neighborhood. I don't see this urgent physical need when I hang outside. Or I can't, it's hard for me to access spiritual needs because people are closed off oftentimes. As we prayed about it and wrestled with it, we got an email from a friend, incredible friends, and they had adopted a number of kids from Liberia. And they sent us a link to a Facebook post, and it had this picture on it. They said, these two little boys are in Liberia, and they were found wandering with malaria. Their parents have died. There's no one to care for them. Would you consider being their adopted mom and dad? And this was just a blast to everybody. And we were like, boom, like, that's it. Like, that's what you called us to do. We talked to the kids. It was a family decision. And we're like, yes, we signed up. And we're like, oh, thank you. Like, we have some purpose again. And so we started the adoption process with Lepolu and Folo Sumo. Allie would pray for him every night. She'd be like, dear Lord, please bless little Sumo and Sumo. Like, she so cute. <laughs> but it seemed so distant. Like, they're in Liberia. We didn't get any information about them, but we started the process, right? And then two months later, we're up in Pennsylvania on a, uh, visiting with some friends. And again, my phone rings, I think. Uh, this is so-and-so from social services. I know we said we didn't need you, but there's a little baby boy who was just born and his brother. And because of some tough circumstances, we need a place for them to go just temporarily. Just temporarily. Can you take them? Like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We got some time before we bring Sumo and Sumo home. Like, I would love to. And so Molly, like, took a friend and left Pennsylvania then and went and got little baby, a Jameer and Jaden. And I, yeah, I ended up going to a wrestling tournament. But I eventually I made it home. And again, like, what we saw was, like, this is so hard. Like, we're excited. But, like, we had a baby again. Like, we got diapers again. And, and Jameer, you don't miss Christopher, like, he didn't sleep that well. But it was awesome to see how friends, neighbors, Christians, folks who went to church, which just stepped up in huge ways to bear a burden. We didn't, again, didn't know how long it would take. And this one was unique in that we developed a relationship with the mom and dad. Like, they loved their kids. They just couldn't get their life together. And the reality is their childhood was incredibly difficult. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what they went through. And so they just didn't have someone to teach them and to show them and to train them. And they made bad decisions. So we spent a year meeting with them and talking with them. Like we had them over Thanksgiving. We were so hopeful that they would get the kids back. And so fast forward. In May, this, this adoption seemed very distant. Oh, there, there's the two little guys there. Yeah, that's Christopher and uh, Jaden on the right. And so the, the international adoption seemed very distant. Like, we're like, okay, it's out there somewhere. It may happen. It may not. But this is real. We're caring for these boys. And then in May of this year, I got a call from the adoption agency. And they're like, hey, by the way, it's go time. You need to fly to Liberia and pick up your boys. I was like, what? <laughs> like, we're not, we thought Jaden and Christopher would be back with their mom and dad by then. But they're still with us. And now they're talking about terminating rights. We're like, oh, my goodness. Like, what do we do? So I stole my truck and I got a giant van. And, and like, we moved the big girls into the basement, which they're not even, like, real rooms. But they, they work, right? And we, we created this space, and we got folks, gave us some stuff. And I flew to Liberia with Molly and Mannion, and we met Leona for the first time. And it was like, boom, like it was, it was heavy. I don't have time to talk about all of that. And we bring them home. And a couple months go by, and 
actually three weeks ago, like we adopted Jaden and Christopher. They became Woodruffs. It wasn't our plan. And suddenly our family of four is like a family of our six went to ten. I don't even know how many we had. We have a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, there they are. Right? We, we got a lot of people. And the impact, like, the impact has been profound. Like, I didn't plan this. Like, I didn't. I didn't even imagine this. This wasn't who I was. Like, I, I didn't have any background in this. This is God. And like, I think about the impact on the social workers and case workers and supervisors. I was telling Vic this morning, I got an email this week, Molly did, from one of our uh, supervisors, case worker. She's like, hey, would you be willing to meet with a foster family and staff and just pray with them and encourage them? Like, well, you want me to pray? Like, you're asking me to go pray with a family? Yes, yes, we would love to, right? Um, I think about the, the ladies that we've met, specifically the ladies who work at Stafford Social Services, incredible women, like, who work so hard to care for orphans with very little um, encouragement. They're just expected to do. One of them's here today. Her name is Bejor. She's over here. Can you raise your hand, Bejor? Bejor. Bejor was our caseworker, and she's an incredible woman, and I'm so glad you came today. She's actually the supervisor in charge of Fredericksburg's foster care program, and she would love to talk with you after the service if you have questions. But just the impact and encouragement we were able to give her, I hope, in her job, um, the impact that we had on friends and neighbors. Our neighbor came today, Wendy's here. Like, our neighbors, like, everybody rallies around this, like, in ways I didn't expect. And with opportunities, not just to, like, talk about something substantive, but to talk about Jesus. Like, because naturally, they'd be like, what are you guys doing? You're nuts. And not always do I say, oh, Jesus. But, like, it's definitely there, definitely an opportunity. I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen all the time in other conversations. And then with the biological parents, like, I'll be careful here, but, like, we love them. We still love them. They come to church here sometimes. And God has a plan for them, like he has a plan for you and for me. Like, he loves them as much as he loves me. And, like, I've seen now that, like, it's not just about the kids, but, like, all the other folks involved. And so I imagine that some of you who have your own kids, you're like, well, how does this affect your biological kids? And I think that's a fair question. Like, how does all this affect your biological kids? And I would ask you to talk to them. They're here, Kyrie, me, and Manny, and Allie. Like, it has been profound to me. Like, the, the older they get, and maybe you can relate, like, my kids don't really want to hear what I have to say too much anymore, but they model what I do, right? Like, the bad stuff I do, I see it all the time coming out of their mouths. Like, oh, gosh, like, why are you yelling at your brother? Oh, because I yell at your brother, right? But this is one area where I've seen, like, God move in their hearts where, like, it's not, oh, the foster kids. Oh, my brothers. These are my brothers. I love them. Like, the way she cares for these little babies, like, can make me cry right now, just pouring into them and just loving on them in ways I never expected. So it's natural now for my kids to be like, yeah, we take her orphans. Like, that's what we do, right? Like, it's not something that's new to them. And I didn't, not, I didn't plan that. It just happened because we, we took one step of obedience. All right. I want to be careful here because I don't want to, tell you this story and think like we're the rescuers. Like Molly and I, we're not the rescuers. Like Jesus Christ is the rescuer. He rescued us from our sin and from death. He gave us life and hope and out of an overflow of love in our hearts for God, we're like we desire to live with purpose. And this is one way of any that we've stepped into that. And I've seen fruit and I want to encourage you to consider it. But we're not great people. I've had a number of folks come up to Molly and I be like, man, you guys are so great. You're so great. Like we are not great. Like let me just be real with you. We left for church this morning, and we forgot Mannion, like, <laughs> my son. 
I'm so sorry. Like, we're driving, we got the neighbor, I'm thinking about my servant, and I'm like, hey, where's Mannion? I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Poor little guy's, like, walking down the street with his Pokemon cards, like, where's mom and dad? So, just in case you thought we were something special, we're like, we're lousy people. <laughs> Christ is great. And I don't presume to know all the significant and real life struggles that you have, and I know they're in here. They're represented by everybody, and you have real heavy stuff going on in your life. And so, in no way is this story prescriptive or normative for you. Like, my story is not your story. In fact, I can guarantee if you choose to get involved in any way, like, it's going to look different. And I also want to mention, like, I don't want anybody to feel guilty because of this. Like, oh, the Woodruff did that, so we probably should do something. Like, that's the gospel. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's done. It's finished. Like, we don't do foster care, even have a gratitude or adoption, like, as if we could repay God. Like, we don't repay God for what he did for us. We express our love for him, like an overflow of love in our hearts to God. And so we try to love and serve the people around us. And this is a practical way that you can immediately step in and do that if that's on your heart. And so... That's the goal this morning. Like, there's a need, there's a mandate, there's your heart. I just want to find a way to try and connect those in a way that works for you right now. Not that you would put limitations on God and say, oh, I can't do that, but let me just pray about this. But give you some options and let God work in your heart. I also want you to count the cost. Like, I reached out to some folks in the church who are a lot farther down this road than Molly and I, and they emphasized to me, like, make sure you tell the congregation, like, it is hard. It's hard. It's going to break your heart. And think about this. This ministry is because of brokenness, right? Things are not as they should be, and so we step in. So there is difficulty. Like, these have been some hard times for mine. Like, a lot of crying at our house. Me wondering, like, I'm the provider and the protector of my home. What have I done? Like, what have I done? And God, again and again, as he drives me to my knees in prayer, he's like, I've got a plan in this. Like, be faithful. And then he brings people into our life to encourage us. And we've been just, like, Blown away by the amount of encouragement we've received. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to do something like this? I can't answer that question for you. Like only you can answer that question. But I thought as I talked to my boys last night, actually a couple nights ago, I pictured like little, um, if you haven't met him, Lee Owens in his bed and he's under his blanket that Christine made for him. And I go sit on his bed, and he jumps up, and he's like, he's gunned up. He's going to be a wrestler. And he's like, I love you, Daddy. And he kisses me all over my face. I'm like, I love you too, Leo. And then I walk over to Owen's bed, or I'm sorry, that was Owen. Leo's up on the bunk bed. And I, I, I say to Leo, like, I love you, Leo. And he kisses me all over my face. I love you too, Daddy. And then I walk across the hall where Jaden's at, and he sleeps in a little crib still, and he's in his Paw Patrol blanket and another blanket from Christine. And he puts up his hand. And I hold his hand and we pray because that's what we do. And he knows it. And I pray over him. And he's like, I love you, Daddy. I was like, bro, I love you too. And then I walk downstairs and we have a, Christopher. He's a wild man. So he's just like running circles around the kitchen and screaming. And the kids are doting over him. And my heart is full. Like, it is exhausting and it's overwhelming. I don't know what it's going to look like 10 or 15 years from now. Like, I don't know how we're going to pay for college. But my heart is full. And like, is it worth it? Like, I can't think of many things that I've done in my life that are more worth it. Like, where would they be if they weren't in our family? Like, where would we be without them? I don't know. Like, we love them. And so the last verse I turn to uh, for this morning is Luke chapter 9. And I'll put it up on the screen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. 
And so at this point in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll get there, like Jesus has just told his disciples, like, I'm the Son of God, the anointed one, the Christ. Like, I'm what you thought I was. And then he just turns the tables and he's like, by the way, like, I'm going to suffer and be rejected and I'm going to be killed. And if you want to be my disciples, it's going to cost you something. He said, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? So what does it look like in your life to, like, lose your life for Christ? I struggle with that. Like, how do I live differently because of the joy I have in my heart, the new life I have in Christ? So I don't know if it's this ministry or another ministry. I just want you to know, like, there's practical and immediate needs in the realm of short-term and long-term orphan care that you can get plugged in in this church body in a unique way. And so... Let me just conclude to give you a couple, and then we'll wrap it up. I started thinking through this ministry as God put it on my heart. I just called the social services offices. I called Stafford, Fredericksburg, and Spotsylvania. I said, my name's Justin. I go to Spotswood West Church, and we would like to do something in the, in the realm of foster care. We want to get plugged in. What are your needs? And all of them said, we need foster families. We need respite families. And Spotsylvania said, we need mentor families. We have these kids who age out of the foster system with no family, and then we give them a stipend for college and an apartment, but they have no one speaking wisdom into their life. They have no one to talk to them about life. Do you have anybody in your church who'd be willing to just mentor them once a week and, and talk to them? I was like, okay. And so one of my goals is that we would, as a church, like find at least three families here who'd be willing to go to the foster training. Spotsylvania starts on January 27th, Stafford's January 7th, and then... Um, Fredericksburg, Bajor can speak to, but sometime in January. And it's a commitment, right? It's 6 to 9 p.m. on Monday nights, every other week for five weeks, 10 weeks total with online training. Like, it's not going to be easy. You'll probably get a little frustrated if you already have parents, but. And it doesn't even obligate you to be a foster parent or respite care or a mentor. You're just certified. And as you pray over this and God moves in your heart, like, you can step in the gap. All right. So that's my first challenge to you. Like, consider going to the foster training. And if you live in Culpeper or somewhere else, like, I'll get you plugged in. My second challenge or opportunity, if you get plugged in, you can clip ahead. Is we have families right now in this church, many families who have already walked this road or in the midst of it right now. They fostered or adopted, and they need help. Like you, the Bunces, Jamie and Sydney Bunce, I love this family. and I, I don't have time to tell you their whole story. We got to hear it last night. But they have a beautiful, they had a, a three-year-old boy last year. And through a number of difficult circumstances, God led them to adopt domestically. So they got matched with a young girl who was in prison, who was pregnant. And so they developed a relationship with this girl over the child. And they flew down there in February, and little Gracie was born, and they brought Gracie home. She's here today. But during that process, they got pregnant with their own biological kid unexpectedly. So right now, they have two babies at home, three months apart, and, and, and Jamie is really busy at work. Like, he's gone for weeks at a time. Like, so as a church, can we come alongside them, like, intentionally and help them out? Like, whatever they need, like, step up. Maybe you can't be a foster parent, but, like, we can watch their kids for a night or two or whatever they need. So my hope is, like, we mobilize as a church to come alongside one another in a way that people did for us, because I love what they're doing. Their hearts are beautiful because of Christ. Um, Hunter and Brittany are in childcare right now. We met with them Friday night. They said, hey, we sign up for the class. But they have a two-year-old and a one-year-old, like child care, six to nine. I guess we'll have our folks do it, but they're not too excited about foster care. What if we did 
child care for them? Like, can we mobilize as a church to provide care for their family? You connect with their kids, you get to know them, and you minister to them as they walk through foster care? Like, I think we can do that. I would pray that you consider doing that. And then lastly, and I'll close here, like we have families in this church who are walking through international adoption. And like domestic adoption, go to the next slide. There is an incredible financial burden associated with domestic and international adoption. And so this family here, uh, the Penningtons is right here, Ben and Trisha Pennington. It's Levi and Abraham, amazing family. I hope you talk to them if you don't already know them. So they adopted Abraham from India, brought him home about 18 months ago, thereabouts. Abraham had bilateral club feet. He had a pretty significant disability in his culture. He would have been left for dead. But they're like, we feel called to adopt from India. There's a billion people there, about 20 million orphans. There's a need we want to step in and do. We're going to love just one and go from there. And so they brought him home. You probably see Abraham. He runs there. He had surgery. He's doing great. We saw him last night. And now they feel led to, like, we're not done. Like, we're going to bring home a sibling group. Right. Think about that for a moment. Like, he works as a Marine. I, he's a major, so I don't know how much money he makes. Trisha stays home. Like, that's like $35,000, $50,000 is what international adoption costs. I didn't ask him. That's just my best guess. Like, how do you pay for that? Take out a loan, a bunch of loans, go into debt? Like, what about as a church if we stood up and we said, you know what, we're going to bear that burden with you. Like, we're going to help you through that. We're going to show you, not just talk about, be heroes of the word, be doers of the word. Like, we're going to... We're going to meet that need. And I say this out of experience because I'm prideful. Like when we did this international offer, like, I don't want your help. I've got some investments. We'll cash them in. And then I had some friends step up and be like, nope, sorry, bro. And they raised like 20 grand for me. Like so much overflow. Like where we had to give it away at the end because we're like, we can't just spend this on Chick-fil-A. Like we, we need to spend and give this to other people, right? But I was so blessed by that. And it connected people with our adoption in a way that like they're, they come and see our kids and like, they celebrated with us when we brought them home. So today we're going to be selling shirts. They, they, they put these shirts together. They ordered them as, as their initial fundraiser. And I use that word intentionally, like we can do more than this. But today, would you consider in the lobby, buy a shirt on your way out. Even if you don't need a shirt. Even if you wear a certain brand of shirt, like buy a shirt. <laughs> and show them like, hey, we love you. We care for you. We care for orphans. And we want to support you because what you're doing matters. It matters to the Lord. It matters to us. And then when you wear the shirt, you'll remember to pray for them. And I would encourage you to do that for their whole family and the two beautiful kids they're going to bring home. And when you wear it in public, people are going to be like, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Oh, our friends, the Penningtons, are adopting. Maybe that leads to a gospel conversation. And maybe most importantly, in a few months, several months, when they bring these beautiful kids home, like, you're going to celebrate with them. You'll be like, oh, we've been praying for you. We support you. We love you. You're going to celebrate with them. As a church, we're going to walk alongside them. We're going to walk right alongside them, help bring them up in the learning and admonition of Jesus Christ. Like, that's what we do as a church. And so there's a lot of different ways that you can get involved. So what's the next step? Like, On your seats, there's a little card that Tyler was gracious enough to print out. And so if anything I talked about this morning seemed at all interesting to you or God's working on your heart, would you just put your contact info on that card and drop it in the offering bucket? And if you're not comfortable giving out your personal information, my email's on there. You can just shoot me an email. And if you have questions, there's a lot I didn't talk about. If you have questions, I love to walk through your questions. You can talk to my wife or others who know a lot more than us. And then I just encourage you to pray. Like, just pray about it. Don't, don't just take my word for it. Like, get in the word and pray. Like, God, you've given us all this stuff. Like, what do you want us to do with it? Is this where you're leading us? 
So what are the takeaways? So leaving here today, would you please speak the gospel? If you know and love Jesus Christ, would you speak the gospel in your car today with your family or by yourself? If you don't know Christ, like, come talk to me about the gospel. I'd love to tell you more about it. Like, there's life and hope and love and purpose in living for Jesus Christ. And then would you just consider how you might plug into this ministry? And then, you know, we'll see how it goes. Like, see how it goes. See what God does here. I think he might do some amazing things. So my last, my last admission to you or encouragement, like, like, can we be a church that demonstrates, and people and individuals and families, that demonstrates, like, a compassion and care for orphans? through like, sacrificial love of the kids and sacrificial love of one another in a way that deepens our fellowship, like more than just having coffee and talking, but really deepens our fellowship that proclaims the gospel, like by our words and our deeds to our neighborhood and our, our friends and our coworkers for God's glory and our blessing. Like I think there's a lot of hope here. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to talk this morning over your word. They gave me a voice. I pray for everybody here, myself included, that we would just, we would just love you more. We would love you more today. And we would listen to you when you speak to us, that I would listen to you. And that we would take baby steps if necessary to live lives that demonstrate our love for you and our desire to love and serve the people around us in whatever way you have. So I pray for the hearts here that people wouldn't put limits on what you might do in their lives, that make excuses or like, oh, maybe I pray just open hearts this morning in a way that draws people to yourself and draws us to step in the gap for orphans. So would you be glorified in our time together? We praise your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.